And now for the Black Firehouse Podcast, the only Ghostbusters podcast that discusses props, costumes, sets, and special effects with your hosts, Austin Young and Dan Harshman. What is that thing you're doing? It's technical. It's one of our little toys. The proton peg is not a toy. I guess it's right. Hey everybody, this is Dan Harshman, and uh, this is our inaugural first episode of uh, the Black Firehouse podcast. I have I have my good buddy Austin Young here. Austin, say hi. Hello. How are you today, bud? I'm doing pretty good. I'm, I'm psyched and I'm ready to do this. I'm very, very excited. So yeah, this is the first episode of the Black Firehouse podcast. This is the first uh, podcast that either Austin or I have ever run. I've been a guest a few times on a couple others. How about you? Have you have, have you run a podcast yet, Austin? Absolutely not. So <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing. Well, well, luckily, I guess uh, I guess I'm driving it since I'm the one with the, <laughs> with the Riverside program over here. Um, that is well, totally OK with me. <laughs> so let's let's start off with just kind of introducing ourselves, letting our are super limited all three listeners um which which is you me and like one other person it's gonna be uh dan Aykroyd. he's our only other listener yeah this will oh. get him to buy our vodka let's uh let's so. introduce ourselves a little bit austin tell me a, a little bit about yourself i mean i know you but you know if i well didn't. okay first of all um we have to address an issue my name is austin young but most people on the internet nowadays know me as ray cameron <laughs> Um, so just to clear up some confusion, if you see Ray Cameron posting, that is me. Um, I won't get into the long of it, but it's your witness protection. It's my witness protection. I decided to ditch Facebook as like a social thing altogether and just use it for Facebook groups and shit. So, but I wanted to use an alias because I don't want my family members to like send me friend requests and shit. Like, cause I don't, I just don't care. So, (laughs) but, um, yeah, like, I guess I'll start with, like, my my history with Ghostbusters, which started, like, literally my first memory, my earliest memory is I had to have been two or three years old sitting on my grandma's floor in her room, living room watching Ghostbusters on TV. I don't, I don't know if it was, you know, uh, a VHS tape or HBO or what, but the... The main thing I remember is the very end of the movie uh, when they're they're pulling Lewis out of the terror dog. And, you know, Lewis is like, oh, the superintendent's going to be pissed. And I remember leaping to my feet and running into the kitchen where my mom and my grandma were like making dinner or whatever and running in there and going, the superintendent's going to be pissed. <laughs> and, and then running right back into the living room and uh finishing the movie so that's where it started and that's where it's like it hasn't ended ever since um i was a ghostbuster my first halloween that i dressed up 
and I've pretty much been a Ghostbuster ever since. I think I was Batman for a couple of years one time. I think everybody was Batman at one point. I think I was Batman the year after I was a Ghostbuster. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you know, like everybody else, I I grew up watching the movies, God, hundreds of thousands of times. And, you know, I had all the toys, the tents, the sleeping bags, you know, and uh, right around... I want to say I had a Star Wars phase. It's not really a phase. It was like a separate part of my my fandom existence. But <laughs> I I kind of shifted over to Star Wars for a while and uh, ended up starting a a Star Wars fan club when I was like thirteen. And uh, one of the people that joined that group was Charles Walker. Um, if you remember Charles Walker, he went by Prop Fan. Yeah, um, since been banned, but whatever. We're not going to get into that. Uh, <laughs> but you know, he um, he joined and he uh, was talking to me and you know saying that he built these replica movie props and stuff. And like I'd always liked to build stuff when I was a kid. And I uh, he told me that you know he did Star Wars props, but that he also did Ghostbuster stuff. And I was just like, oh, oh my god, people, people build ghostbusters props and uh i immediately like got on the internet and that's where i found you know uh ghostbusters prop archive um ghostbusters homepage, all that good stuff uh a site about props asap um and yeah ever since then that was like 2000 god 2001 and i've just been in it ever since man you That's know. awesome. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you and I, I guess, probably got into the online community uh, within three years of each other. Um, yeah. But but we're we're roughly the same age, so our experiences we not, neither one of us got to see Ghostbusters in theaters when it premiered, and we were yeah. both little guys when Ghostbusters two came out in in eighty nine. Um, but very similar uh, to you. I was introduced to Ghostbusters actually at my babysitters through the cartoon. And um, nice. And after I could identify the the toys on the shelves, uh, my mom decided when I was about three years old that I was old enough to see Ghostbusters. And I, I never repeated, you know, the superintendent's going to be pissed. But I do have very strong recollections of hiding under the blanket whenever uh, Zool was floating over the bed because the part in which she she you know that jump scare part where she reaches out to to peter always scared the shit out of me when i was a little guy um hey the jump scare in afterlife when uh callie kind of lunges toward podcast um i've seen the movie like 20 times now at this point and it still gets me every time oh <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah I, i've only seen it four so i guess you got me outmatched on there we know how obsessive i am it's it's what? Just, no, no, this isn't a me. podcast for obsessive people. This is a very casual thing. We're not going to be. Yes, <laughs> that's a lie. We're we're doing all kinds of deep dives. In fact, um, only listen to this if you haven't seen Ghostbusters. <laughs> yeah, because the entire thing will make complete sense. Um, yes. So, yeah, 97 rolled around and we got the Internet at my house. And, uh, you know, back then you didn't really have search engines. You you plugged in whatever website and i plugged in uh uh ghostbusters.com 
and ended up on Bill Inko's Ghostbusters homepage and mm-hmm. lied about my age and signed up back in 97. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I remember you have to be 13 years or older to join this. So I was like, ah, I was 10. I was just like, nah, breaking the law. And uh, close and from, enough. From, yeah, close enough. I mean, it was pretty much right around the corner. Um, yeah. And and yeah, just from there, I mean, always been obsessed. You know, my favorite stuff was always Christmas. Of course, yeah, you know, other geeky things, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, Men in Black, all that's back there. But Ghostbusters has always been that primary love and then getting into the online community. And that culminated actually for you and I in uh, 2009 with uh, the first PKE surge, uh, Dragon Con. Yeah. You were you were part of the planning staff for the first uh, two years, weren't you? That's what I'm told. I honestly don't remember. I, I remember. <laughs> I, I remember. I remember being involved. I I don't really remember what I did, other than I think I got like the t-shirts printed and that kind of stuff. Um, you got t-shirts. You got pins printed. Um, yeah, you helped at the fan table. We had a lot of. You did uh, Ghostbusters TV. Yes, that's true. And yeah. um, um, that was a lot of fun. I loved Ghostbusters TV. That was a great project. Um. Eventually, we're going to bring it back. There were plans Eventually. to bring it back this year, and you know, pandemic and a new yeah. Ghostbusters movie coming out, and all that stuff kind of sidetracked plans. it again. Plans to bring it out this year, three years ago. See, that's that's the true Ghostbusters spirit. That start filming this spring, right? It's been greenlit. We're production number JQ seven three dash two one one nine, and yes, we will be uh, rolling cameras in the spring. <laughs> You're not going to believe this new equipment we've got. Oh, it's out of this world. <laughs> and uh, let's see. So, yeah, um, now I, I I'm president of my own Ghostbusters franchise that became 501C3 this year. That was exciting. And uh, running uh, Spangler's 1984 workbench, which is the the official discussion group. I should say for the black firehouse podcast. So I got those linked up today. So if you like the podcast or if you like the, the form and want to hear the, that more deep dive um, attention to detail, kind of obsessive compulsive um, research or ghostbuster stuff, definitely check out Spengler's 1984 workbench on uh, facebook.com. Um, any other cool projects that you've been working on there, Austin, before we, we move on. All right, Always a million in the Thank planning you. stages. No, no. <laughs> planning <laughs> stage. We'll tell you, you know what? That This is a perfect segue. We're, we're going to go into our next segment um, because this is a podcast about uh, Ghostbusters props, costumes, uh, sets, and special effects. Uh, we're going to go into another next segment here called uh, our, our workbench segment, what we're working on. So we'll go ahead and get that going now. There's something very important I forgot to tell you. What? I collect spores, molds, and fungus. Why? (laughs) So, Austin, what are you currently prop-wise working on? Um, I have a couple of afterlife builds going on right now, proton packs. Um, I'm refurbishing the one that I built, what, a year and a half ago? Well, you were one uh, of the first people to come out of the gate with an afterlife build. Um, how much has the the now 
deluge of information that we've gotten, how much has it changed uh, compared to what you already understood about the afterlife, uh, specifically the Phoebe proton pack? Um, it's it's actually really surprising that, you know, once I finished mine, I sat on it for a while because or I sat on it in terms of I didn't really I didn't make any changes to it because, you know, I knew everything there was to know about it that from the information that was available at the time and was just kind of waiting for the movie to come out. But prior to the movie coming out, you know, tested, released it all, released all those uh, amazing pictures of one of the, the hero packs. And, uh, you know, seeing the pack that I built compared to those, it's crazy how close it was just from the limited information. And I'm, you know, I'm not trying to brag on myself. I'm just like, I blew myself out of the water with that. I was like, what are the odds, you know, that it would be this crazy close. And, uh, so it's just been a matter of minor tweaks. Um, I wanted to redo the paint job on it a little bit. Um, you know, upgrade a few things, uh, a couple of pieces like the, you know, there was the, the rumor going around for a long time that it, it utilized a, a Dixie hook instead of a, a machined V hook. But, you know, we could confirm that the one on the, the bottom of the thrower was in fact a Dixie hook, but we, we couldn't tell from the available reference at the time, what was on the pack itself. And, it's and once strange, it became obvious, it's a strange V hook that they put on the pack. It's, it's, it's almost traditional, but it has that big, ugly weld on the bottom. Yeah. Of and I, I it wasn't is, it, sure why they did that, if it was just because it still has the two attachment points that the, the Ghostbuster mm-hmm. one V hooks had. I didn't I didn't know if that was maybe a structural choice or just a quick choice. I, I was a little confused by that. Yeah. And, you know, it's little it's little things like that, like mysteries that I like to solve. Like, was that a practical um, solution for a problem? maybe it was it was always coming loose or something or is that an aesthetic choice to kind of play into the you know haphazard repairs and and the band-aids that have been put all over the thing to just keep the thing running you know um absolutely i i think one of the coolest yeah. things you know that you mentioned that was it was it part of the actual aesthetic design or if it was a functional thing i think one of the things they did on the v hook that was definitely a functional thing um was that the rearmost bolt on the v hook on the wand actually has a like a like a nut on there like a spacer that jets so it's out like a, a stop bit. yeah so that the the wand actually ends up sitting higher when it's cradled mm-hmm. and is then theoretically easier to get to which is something i guess they they maybe had done for uh, Grace McKenna since she was so small compared to the pack. I know, I know one of the things they had a, a little uh, micro switch on the, the back handle on the front because she couldn't, her, her hands couldn't physically reach the trigger mechanism on uh, yeah. the trigger box. Well, and you know, there's the shot in the film uh, in the field where she she goes to take the wand off and like it catches and it sticks and she's got to try a couple of times to get it off. And I love that because how many times has that happened to us? A you lot, know? a lot, it's, a lot, a lot. It's such a little detail, but it oh my god for people like us it just oh it sells it so well. 
I think she had a lot of fun with the props. I think she had a lot more fun with the props than, than say the original Ghostbusters. Cause for her, she was always a Ghostbusters fan. I mean, there's, uh, you know, pictures of her floating around in a, a Ruby's Ghostbusters Halloween costume, I think like two or three years before she even got the part. Um, yeah. So it was kind of cool. It was easy to, to, as a fan, put yourself in her place or in podcasts place in the movie, which was cool. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, if you were 12 years old and you got to run around on the set of a, a Ghostbusters movie and, and play with real proton packs and traps, I mean, you'd have a field day. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, right now I have two two projects that I can say that I'm more actively working on than the others, which is uh, my wife's proton pack. I actually... Uh, for Christmas, got her a 80% scale Ben of Kent proton pack kit. And uh, I've been slowly, slowly working on that. It's a nice little kit. Um, the The shell itself is, it's a polyurethane resin casting. Um, I'm still not sure if I'm going to glass the back of it. It seems pretty sturdy enough on, on its you know size on how big it is. Uh, the lines are really crisp, very, very similar to what I would expect Ben's, you know, 100% scale proton pack is. And then I'm working on an IDW pack out of a, a old ABS shell that who, who, who did I buy that shell from in 2011? You probably bought it from Ryan McKinley. No, I bought it from you, but you got it. Did made you buy from it from Ryan me? I bought it from you. It, yeah, it was, a, it was a project that Ryan and I worked on together and, yeah. uh, Half the time he sold them, half the time I sold them. I don't remember. They're they good shells. What I mean, it. they stand up. I mean, you know, there's always things that you could improve, especially looking back on something from 10 years ago. But uh... yeah, they were. They were cool for for the time, you know, a, a lot better than the studio creations at the time. I'll, I'll yeah. say studio creations really has come a far way on their vacuum form shells. Yeah. Um, I still, you know, when we did those shells, I was adamant that, no, we've got to leave all the cosmetic ribbing off because, you know, when you do a vacuum form pool, that, that detail is going to be so soft. It's not going to look right. But then yeah, we that's... put, we put the cyclotron rings on and I, I still don't understand that decision, but whatever. Yeah. I'm frustrated with that decision because I, <laughs> I have to take them off for the Sorry. fact that I'm doing. It's okay. I, I mean, it's all right. The entire time I'm cutting them out and refilling and everything i'll i'll curse your name but uh that, that's fine it's a fun project it's interesting um interpreting all of dan Schooning's uh artwork into an actual physical prop and seeing what he drew you know of course there's going to be inconsistencies it would be like building something from the real ghostbusters there's there's going to be inconsistencies with the animation there's inconsistencies with dan's artwork um but there's still a lot of fundamental like regular aspects that he puts in there um even outside of like the dual hgas and stuff just little details that i've been noticing pouring through um the comic books and you know getting my reference material for it and uh finally got a uh, custom custom designed gun box from shapeforge props um you know i kind of sent him in a list of must-haves for the gun box and he he did it up for me and then ordered a few more parts from uh send cut send 
which is a great, great resource if you just need some simple aluminum stuff. And uh, it's coming together. I'm really excited about it. I'm really excited about it. Um, I'm excited to see it. Like, you know, the, the few progress pictures you've posted, just the, like, extending the gun mount and the uh, crank generator and all that. It's, like, it's such a simple thing, but it it already is taking shape, you know? Yeah, I I haven't shared any pictures yet of the, the big piece I got from Send, Cut, Send, which is I it, it would... If we were using standard proton pack terminology, it'd be their equivalent of the gun ears. Um, but it's more like a like a like a whole block, like a barricade between the end of the barrel and the rest of the wand front. And it came out really, really awesome. And I'm excited to get that, you know, bolted in and everything. Um, nice. And I, it's really cool. It's it's a really cool wand design. It's just different enough. You know, it's kind of like the afterlife props. It's different enough that it makes it interesting and new and exciting to pour over, but it's familiar enough that, you know, you're still getting your fanboy. Oh, that's that part. Oh, cool. They still kept that, you know, those kinds of aspects to it. So it's been, it's definitely been a fun project going, going on. Um, so well, yeah, like going back to what you're saying about, you know, the inconsistencies and stuff, like that's something that I actually really enjoy seeing you know, people tackle and and seeing people's different interpretations of the reference material because of those inconsistencies. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen some really creative takes on, you know, aspects of the real Ghostbusters packs and things like that. Um, and so to see, you know, you tackle one of these is because as far as I'm aware, you're the first person to, to tackle one, aren't you? Well, yeah, but now that I put it out there, I'm sure somebody else will beat me to the punch. <laughs> oh, pr- yeah, probably. But, you know. <laughs> We're we're um, on the record here right now. You're the first person to start one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was maybe the, not I was, the first to finish, but the I was first the to first, start. First person to put all the the superhero information in one place, and now there's like four of them that have been built before mine. I'm just like, ah, that's what I get for wanting to share all my research. Hey, but also an upside to that that I've learned is that a lot of times. Uh, some of the frustrations you go through trying to achieve some of that stuff other people go through by yeah. beating you to the punch and then you can learn from them and it's way easier on you <laughs> only only when they post their frustrations otherwise it's all personal and hypothetical that's true but yeah i don't know i i'm excited to see your idw pack um yeah i am too i, I I am too. Um, I'm I'm at the point now where I'm I'm finding that my my box cutter tools are not sharp enough to cut through the styrene that I have, and I've like gotten new blades, um, and even those the styrene is just tough enough, just thick enough that I I have to make like something like twenty passes over the plastic just to do the ribs, um, which is really really frustrating. But once that's done, it'll be all about, you know, kind of putting them in place, clamping them down, taking a heat gun to him to uh, warp them into the, the shape of the shell. I think the biggest thing I wish I could do with that shell is I wish I had a massive sand belt so that I could get the entire underside even. Because when you guys pulled yeah. them, when you pulled the bucks, it, yeah, they're they're just a little uneven everywhere. Now, luckily because it's 
you know, ABS with a fiberglass backing to it, there's still a lot of pliability. So like once it's attached to the motherboard and bolted in, you won't be able to notice, but working on it, man, that, that, that hits my, my want for everything to be plumb. <laughs> yeah. It's not and doing it. <laughs> unfortunately, that was also kind of a, the downside of wanting to do the shell as one pull rather than, you know, several chunks like most people had been doing at the time is, you know, we couldn't do it on our, our little homemade vacuum form machine. So we ended up having to have one of our local plastic supply places that does fabrication and things, uh, you know, undertake that whole thing. And there's a little bit of trial and error with them because, you know, they're used to pulling large pieces, but not necessarily pieces that are that deep or with that many different levels and of thickness and and peaks and valleys and things. And so mm-hmm. we had, we actually had to create some additional pieces for them when they pull them that, you know, not only is it pulling the plastic over the buck, but then we had to create some cutouts and some, some chunks that they could put on top of the pool while it was being, you know, the, while the air is being sucked out to try and force that plastic down in some of those crevices and stuff. And, uh, you know, it's not a perfect process. So a lot of them ended up just just shallow of the what would be the cut line. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it is what it is. And at I the mean, time it worked. I, I mean, yeah, it, it's one of those, um, you know, looking back at something like that. You got to remember, man, I would you guys make the the original bucks in was it 2010 or 2009? Oh, it was like. 2006 jeez i I mean Um, you know because but even if you built them in 2006 coming up into 2011 they were still the best vacuum form shells available at the time yeah i mean we just did them for ourselves to start with you know um a group of us were like hey we want to build proton packs and you know we looked at the materials and we didn't want to do them out of wood and nobody there wasn't really anybody doing you know, quality fiberglass shells at the time. Um, but I recall, I mean, uh, certainly not on any kind of regular offering. And I think uh, fiberglass shells didn't really start becoming a thing until 2008, 2009. Yeah. So yeah, we just decided, okay, well let's build a buck and we'll vacuum for them. And you know, <laughs> our, our naive thought process was, well, they'll be lighter. And really, once you fiberglass it and reinforce it and get all the shit on it, it's damn near just as heavy as a fiberglass shell. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think the only successful, hey, this proton pack is lighter, is uh, that really, really fantastic uh, foam pack, the tutorial that went on YouTube recently where the pack is something like four pounds, which is just incredible to me. Yeah, or even like... Uh... Thingergy that did the foam packs for Afterlife. I think they said those packs weigh like eight pounds. That's awesome. I'm oh, a foam pack. <laughs> I want one too. That's that's one of the you know thousands of projects on the never ending to do list. Is like oh, I yeah. want to build one of those foam packs. Well, that'll be the great part about this segment. So I'm only going to talk about two projects that are on my workbench. I'm going to ignore the other ones that are also there. That way, yeah. it'll seem like I have more projects when they're all just sitting there gathering cobwebs while I wait for the weather to change or wait for parts to come in. Um, 
it's it's definitely interesting. Um, so yeah, let's uh, listen. What are we talking about tonight? I believe we're talking about uniforms. At least Ghostbusters one uniforms. Yeah, I'm sure. We're gonna we're we'll gonna tackle GB two at some point. We'll we'll get there. So we're doing Ghostbusters one uniforms, and let's go ahead and and get into that. You know, it's just occurred to me we really haven't had a completely successful test of this equipment. I blame myself. So do I. Well, no sense worrying about it now. Let's get ready. Switch me on. All right. So... Obviously, the whole purpose behind uh, the Black Firehouse podcast is uh, talking about Ghostbusters props, costumes, sets, special effects, and and doing deep dives on that. So uh, today, we're not starting on proton packs. I thought that would be the obvious way to start, but there's a lot of really exciting things happening right now in regards to Ghostbusters uniforms. And seeing as you you can wear a proton pack... Um, and unless you're doing a courtroom scene, people, you know, even then they might not really understand what you're doing, but if you have a flight suit on with that Ghostbusters, uh, badge on your arm, people pretty much always know exactly what you're about. So today we're going to, we're going to start by talking about the Ghostbusters one uniform. Austin, what was, what was your first uniform? Did you do a Ghostbusters one or did you start with Ghostbusters two? Uh, it was a Ghostbusters one. Um, you know, luckily for me, my dad had known a guy, still knows, uh, the guy that runs pretty much th- the main military surplus store in our state. Like, there's like four of them in the whole state. And, uh, you know, at least the one in the Oklahoma City area. Uh, so, you know, I was lucky enough, I was able to start out with a Nomex, like right off the bat, right? Nice. Um, and I remember... I wish I could remember the exact year that I started putting the uniform together. It had to be 2001, 2002. Uh, Cause I, I did it before I even started trying to tackle a pack, but the, the you know, the patch I bought was some like giant, it was like an oversized. I think the, the no ghost logo was like four inches around and it was some like fully embroidered, like eBay patch or whatever. And of course I ironed it on, you know, <laughs> and uh, the the name tag and the elbow pads I had actually bought from there was a guy back in the day that went by Doctor Stance. I don't remember his real name, but he used to sell Ghostbusters uniforms and like uniform components. And uh, I bought the elbow pads off of him. Like he, they came already like spray painted gray, and he did these custom embroidered name tags. So I got one with my last name on it. The font is totally wrong. <laughs> the material is totally wrong. But at the time, it was awesome. And I loved it. And uh, I still have the uniform. I still have the patch. Uh, I think I, I tore the, the the logo patch off and tossed it in the garbage. <laughs> but <laughs> I still, in fact, I even still have the elbow pads. Um, I still use them, like, to this day, which is crazy. They've held up that long. Oh, wow. Yeah. My, uh, 
my first flight suit was well, not not counting the children's costumes. You know, if you go beyond, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. My grandmother sewed my first jumpsuit together when I was a little guy, um, and I still have that. Like, I I still have that that jumpsuit that she put together for me. Um, yeah, I have my in the little licensed Ghostbusters two jumpsuit. Awesome. Uh, that's a, I still that's have a that, great... and I I ripped the knees out of it when I tried to put it back on when I was like eight. <laughs> Yeah, eight, eight, or do you mean like twenty-eight? <laughs> oh well, no, uh, <laughs> like twenty. <laughs> uh, my my first arm patch was uh the sci-fi patch dot com mm. no ghost logo with that just atrocious face and like super the black border heavy black border and it was way too yeah. small, so it looked tiny on your arm. And uh, I didn't even have a name tape. I think at one point I printed out a name tape. Like I found a Ghostbusters font online and printed mm-hmm. it out and put like tape and put it on my chest. And it looked great in photos, but up close yeah. it was just like, <laughs> man, this is this is hot garbage. <laughs> um, I used to I used to force my little cousin to dress up as a Ghostbuster with me, and that's what I did for his name tape. Is I I printed one out and just like <laughs> scotch taped it or uh packing taped it to the to the spare flight suit that i had <laughs> so so where should we start jumpsuits or 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 patches let's go to let's start with patches you want to start let's with patches see, who let's, who say, makes let's the, save the uniform for the last who makes the best patches right now your opinion go <sighs> it's so the problem is it's so relative depending on the individual and, and what you're specifically looking for. But, you know, talking with you and, and doing the research and stuff, as far as a, a GB one patch goes, it's gotta be, it's gotta be the Todd cook. Absolutely. And, and just in terms of, you know, the overall design and the materials construction, but even like the size, it, at least the size, you know, compared to a screen used stance patch. So, I had I had a, a a really interesting conversation with Todd Cook. Um, the guy really knows Ghostbuster patches, um, and he put a lot of interesting kind of thoughts into my head and and things that he he talked about. And one of the things you had brought up is it depends on who you're looking at. And one of the interesting things that he had mentioned to me is that. You know, these weren't hand done patches. They were they were machine done, you know, but they were done in in 1983. So the machines were still limited. So they end up having kind of a handmade quality to them, but they were they were still machine processed. And part of his evidence for that is uh, the the thumb on the no ghost logo, you know, the the aberration that, mm-hmm. you know, um the detail nuts are are really all about, which is where it looks like they started to embroider the thumb and then got halfway through it and said, nah, this is, this is ridiculous. Yeah. And then, um, then there's the, the actual back material, which again has gone through a few evolutions and which at one point it was thought that it was felt, but it's more of a, a kind of a fuzzy moleskin. Um, yeah. And apparently it's a, a fairly hard material to, to track down. Um, but Todd was bringing me through it to the point that he actually is is currently postulating that um, the Ghostbusters 2 
the the brownstone scene um the the arm badges that are on the ghostbusters 2 uniforms are actually ripped off of the ghostbusters 1 uniforms which is why the vankman uniform didn't have the same no ghost patch on there anymore or why it was moved because they actually removed it off of one of the ghostbusters one jumpsuits to use it in ghostbusters 2 which man the the more i look at his designs and looking at screen grabs i'm seeing it and the more that i'm looking at the overall design work um i think it's really it's the the uh the calgary ghostbusters who are offering the the character variations and yeah looking at them and, and talking with Todd, I'm wondering, are we actually seeing different patches or are we seeing the same patch that we can only get certain angles on? And because we're looking at it at different angles, we're, we're seeing what we're believing to be different characteristics. But in reality, all the arm badges are, are actually the same. Now, one of the things I would definitely recommend for our, our listeners there um, when we're referencing things here, we're, we're really looking a lot at um, I'm going to give a shout out here to the, the Ghostbusters reference library on Facebook, which was uh, run by a really awesome guy named Stuart Thompson. He has basically scoured the internet and picked off every single piece of Ghostbusters reference material that is available and has put it together in literally thousands of photos, all organized into different albums. And uh, so today we're mostly looking at the Ghostbusters uniform album. Um, he started this project in, I would say, spring of 2021. And it's an incredible, incredible resource uh, for our uh, listeners. I love there. it. I, I, I do I'm, too. I'm on it multiple times a day, like every Constantly. day. Constantly. Constantly. Well, and there's so many photos that like I already have that sit on my phone or sit on my computer, but the what ends up happening is I'll photo dump onto my computer or I'll, you know, transfer stuff to a hard drive or, or something like that. But it's so cool to be able to have one spot where you can go and it's all there. Um, I know, yeah. Uh, GB fans was, was at one point really in the front lead for that, but man, Stuart has just knocked it out of the park and he's constantly updating it anytime there's new material that comes out anytime that something new is found and everything on the ghostbusters reference library is also um publicly accessible and editable so if people have something that hasn't been seen on there they're able to upload it into those albums which is great so it ends up being this massive community library of just incredible incredible um you know photos yeah, and I know he's requested it in the past, you know, uh, for anybody listening that may contribute to it. If if you do contribute something to it, um, you know, make sure you reach out to him and, you know, get his contact information so you can actually send him the the full resolution images. Because Facebook, unfortunately, that is the only downside is Facebook kills the resolution. Yes. Uh, and so... he, keeps, he keeps everything on a, a Google Docs drive that yeah. I believe is available upon request if you ask him for it. I think so, yeah. Now he's going to get all the messages. Poor guy. Sorry, Stuart. Yeah. We'll edit this out later if if he doesn't like it. No, we won't. Okay. Um <laughs> We we have to say it though just to be just to play nice. Yeah, to, to play nice. There we go. Um 
so yeah, you know, those were the things that Todd was saying is that, you know, we're not seeing really different patches. We're seeing one patch, um, machine created, but 1983 technology. So there was still limitations. There's still roughness to it. And that all the Ghostbusters essentially have the, the same patch, um, which was really, really fascinating to me. And even more so fascinating when he was talking about them being reused in Ghostbusters 2, because I always thought, well, they probably just made new ones, but, you know, studios end up cutting corners on really weird things. And that would be one of the weird things that they might have cut a corner on. Yeah. And, you know, it's, I'm glad that you brought that, that Ghostbusters 2 scene up, because that's something I've, I've wondered for years is, you know, they have, it's the herringbone suits. It's the Ghostbusters 2 name tapes, but it's the GB1 logo. And, mm-hmm. you know, like you, I always assumed, yeah, they're just, they just cranked out a couple of GB1s and slapped them on there. Um, and it's one of those things that's always been in the back of my head. Oh, I need to, I need to go through the movie and go back and, and look at that and research that. And I've just never done it. Um, so it's nice to know somebody else is out there doing that work, you know. Uh, for, <laughs> yeah. for the the two people that would ever want to do that variant of the uniform, both of which are running this podcast right now, <laughs> already already planned on doing that. I think uh, you and I did did no mechs versions of the epilogue suits in like 2010, in which we yeah. had Ghostbusters two name tapes, and Ghostbusters one logos, and a hundred percent of people did not even notice, much yeah. less give a shit. Except for you and I, are like, oh yeah, it's my epilogue suit. But and that's also one of those moments where you want somebody to come up and be like, uh, that's the wrong name date for that logo. And you can be like, um, actually, I, I tell you, um, during Dragon Con uh, last year, I did a jumpsuit based off of Bill Murray's Scream War Scream Awards acceptance speech. And he had um, two yes. Katara eight no ghost logos on either shoulder and uh with a ghostbusters 2 style name tape and you know the the hazard vest and everything and i did that i did that suit and i i even found the exact same elbow pads that he used i found them on amazon they were still available and uh put that suit together and like two people understood and it was aj quick and and craig goldberg um of of yes has some podcast and and gb fans um respectively and (laughs) even though it was only two people that got it it totally filled my heart with such incredible joy when when i think uh craig or aj came up to me during the awards dinner and they're like hey i just got what you're doing right now i was just like yes (laughs) thank you (laughs) dude when you texted me you know, hey, guess what I'm doing? And then you just sent me that picture of Bill Murray. I was like, oh, fuck, yes. <laughs> like, that is that crazy, esoteric, just strange shit that I love. That, it's, like, the, it's the Ted and Annette Fleming cosplay. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. I love that. Uh, and, yeah, being able to be, like, meticulously accurate with the elbow pads and the patches and everything just oh, warms my heart, dude. And finding For, the, uh, the same kind of seat belt belt yeah. that he was using. Cause it's not, it's not a pistol belt. It's just a, 
you know, airline class seatbelt material belt that he's rocking. And then like the fact that I was able, <laughs> pouring over screen captures from the scream awards to, to <laughs> figure out my Bill Murray jumpsuit. <laughs> and the, the best part is that's probably not the weirdest thing you've done for a Ghostbusters prop, you know? No, probably not. Probably not, but we'll get into that. So, so Todd cook. Yeah, definitely. Um, top of the line. If, if you are able to get one of his V3 and, um, patches i mean like so talking with todd about it he he says that the the material the base material the background material on it is is relatively hard to find um and i'm going to take his word on it because <laughs> i mean he brought me to school about the the no ghost logo um he says he can't find anymore so if you are able to get one of the v3 patches definitely cherish it um because apparently it's not going to be widely released um however his other patches are great he did um two other versions it's all coming out of the same designs but his his v2 patch it doesn't have the thumb aberration and it uses a felt material instead of the uh the moleskin material and it's still just a fantastic patch i mean it's just yeah. phenomenal i mean he it, one of the biggest things that a lot of the people get wrong on their screen accurate patches is the prohibition sign um mm -hmm. and it's it's a byproduct of of what current embroidery machines do so they don't really expect you to want that big ugly bubbly 80s yeah. look so it ends up either being 100 percent embroidered or you end up with weird like uh lines and stuff through them but his just come out perfectly. And from what he tells me is it's because everything for his patches are now in house. So he's not sourcing them out. He's, he's got his own machine that he was able to calibrate and able to get that prohibition weight. Correct. They are absolutely gorgeous. I'm, I'm definitely using his V3 for my, my Ghostbusters one suit. And I'm going to use his V2 on a Ghostbusters two suit. Once I, once I come around to ordering that, but I mean, there's, there's really still some awesome offerings out there. Um, I know you have the, the Calgary guys have a very, very accurate Ghostbusters afterlife, no ghost patch. Yeah. And you know, the Calgary patches are great. I mean, they are, you know, I've got a couple of them. I, I think I've got one of the Venkmans and I, I think it's a stance i can't remember and i don't have them handy to look at but i mean they're beautiful patches they're well made they are you know and they look fantastic um and the fact you know that they're so similar to the afterlife patches now i mean you know it's nice to have that resource for people that are wanting to do highly accurate afterlife stuff um mm -hmm. you know because they're, they're nothing against those patches at all they're fantastic patches it's just, no they're phenomenal you know, when you get to people like us that are just so anal retentive about the smallest, littlest thing, you know, of course. Well, we Calgary, look... Calgary, man, if you want to talk about where they knocked it out of the park, I gotta, I gotta hand it to their name tapes. Um, holy yeah. shit, dude, their, their name tapes are uh, screen accurate wise, just perfect. I mean, it's this really thin, very pliable fabric, yeah. but like the, the the letters on them just they're wonky enough it they just come out great and uh but still 
if if you know if you're looking for something that's not necessarily giving into that screen wonk um mm-hmm. gb fans 100 percent. absolutely well and it, yeah and yeah. that's that's something else you know that there's there's varying levels of you know accuracy and i'm air quoting right. here uh some people want an idealized accurate right they want they want the shape of the letters but they don't necessarily want the wonky asymmetry of the letters the the not so neat right uh embroidery um and that's totally valid and and I 100% get that, you know. Oh yeah. Um I like the shitty wonky, you know. I like, it name depends tapes. on what I'm doing. So yeah. I I mean I have <laughs> my wife hates it. I have probably about 15 jumpsuits at this point. Yeah. Um and and depending on what I'm doing with that jumpsuit depends on what name tape I'm going for. When I did the Scream mm-hmm. Awards, I went automatically straight to to aj for his no ghost logo and for his uh his name tape i know i know the scream awards were done by by katara eight um but i wanted aj stuff just because of that that crisp and perfection you know that really really nice finish that his patches have and i know Mm -hmm. aj has also interestingly enough um recently offered a amalgamation screen accurate patch and and i and i use the idea of screen accurate very loosely because it's an amalgamation of the wonkiness of all four patches and what design elements um him and i i forget forgive me who he was working on with them um but they essentially chose what parts they liked best about each of the four available um examples and put it together the only downside i think with the patch is is the prohibition is it still doesn't have that that 1983 1984 kind of bubbleness to it but i mean aj is yeah. using state-of-the-art machines but it's still so cool so like if you yeah. want something that fits that mold but you still want to be your own ghostbuster you can still have that wonky patch that doesn't belong to mm-hmm. any of them which i think was a really cool idea yeah um i really like that patch i don't actually own one yet i've been meaning to pick up several for exactly that reason like mm-hmm. just you know my personal jumpsuits that i want to do uh you know having something that's a little just a little bit cleaner but still has that touch of wonk that is charming about the original patches mm-hmm. well i know i have plans for a video game jumpsuit and no question hands down i'd go to to aj for the name tape yeah because the video game's not going to have any wonk to it no and that's um, one of the fact, things I think people need to need to understand, especially about this podcast. And of course, this is going to be something that I I'll say many, many times is that uh, accuracy and quality are not necessarily the same thing. Something can be an incredibly quality product and not necessarily be screen accurate. And something can be screen accurate and and really be a gigantic piece of shit. Exactly. Yeah, um, I agree hundred percent and so yeah so patches definitely as far as uh ghostbusters one style if you're looking for something idealized i would go to ghostbuster fans um if you're looking for an afterlife 
patch, I would definitely go to to Calgary and uh, Todd Cook for the the hyper accuracy nut. Um, yeah, on those arm patches. Do you know when he's supposed to put out his V three when they're going to be available? It, so from what I've heard, it's supposed to be this month. So I would okay. uh, I would keep a super close eye on his um, his Facebook page. He has Todd Cook Designs on Facebook. And I would keep a very, very close eye on that to see when he releases them. Um, he was kind enough to send me a sample and it's dude, it's outrageous. I mean, it's just, it's just gorgeous. Like it's one of those things where it's like, you get to that level of accuracy where I'm like, man, I could, I could just go and, and tear off one of the screen used patches and put this in its place. And nobody would know except for me. And then I could go to, sleep happy knowing that i have a stolen screen <laughs> used patch <laughs> now we don't want to anyway <laughs> um but, yeah, but if you can't I'm, get I'm, his v3 his v2s man they're they're still incredible it, god but his v3s they're even off-white i mean i keep going back to them dude, i'm just dude i'm just i'm gushing over it it's it's such an awesome patch i i can't wait to get them like as soon as you had shown me the pictures of the sample i was like oh yeah i gotta have like at least four of these things oh good luck getting one <laughs> if you yeah. get if you get four i'm gonna yeah. i'm limiting limiting myself to one on that but um yeah i mean i'm not gonna be I, w- I want at least one and if i can't get one then i'll probably just kill myself because there's no point in living anymore wow that's not true wow i'm not that so this will be okay, a solo podcast <laughs> no, it's not going to be a solo podcast. <laughs> Nobody even liked that movie except me. I liked it. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. I mean, it. It. I had the same problems with it that I had with Ghostbusters Afterlife, but that's that's not for this podcast. No. Moving on. Moving patches. on. So those are those are patches. How about the jumpsuit? Who? Where do you get your jumpsuits? What kind of jumpsuits do you get? Oh well, like I like I said previously, my dad's really good friends with the guy that runs the the local surplus store, and so uh, I usually just I mean I I've always used Nomex suits. Um, I can't think I, I think the only time I've ever used anything else was uh, when I did a GB two charcoal. You know, I did the the true spec and stripped it and redyed it. Um, but even my first attempt at a ghostbusters 2 charcoal suit i used a uh nomex uh olive drab suit and dyed the shit out of it, it i mean i had to any di- of that die it did that's the thing how i don't know i've never been able to replicate it uh, i still have that suit somewhere i'll have to pull it out and take some pictures of it um, you really should so so one of the things is uh nomex is not a brand well it's a brand but it's a it's a brand of fire retardant um, yeah. application. So when you're looking at military grade flight suits, which is uh, the ghost, the closest, the closest thing of course is the um, CWU 27 P yeah. coveralls, which is the, the standard military issue flight suit and uh, 100% none of the films used them. Um, no, straight across the board, they were all made either by in-house wardrobe or or other companies. For Sir Ghostbusters one, they were made by 
in-studio wardrobe. And uh, man, I, I searched, I searched for years and years and years and years trying to find a, a better than the Nomex style flight suits. And um, I came really close twice. Uh, once, amazingly enough, was a Rothko. And if you can find, they're really hard to find, Rothkos from the late 90s, they are mm-hmm. incredibly close. They have the right stitch count, and they have metal zippers, but they're not brass zippers, mind you. And they also don't have the storm flap over mm-hmm. the uh, the pen pocket on the arm. So they're closer than any other jumpsuits, but they they used to be really really excellent and then i guess they changed manufacturers sometime in the early knots and now they are garbage i mean just yeah. uh you know they have that weird yellow tinge to the dye lots now plastic mm-hmm. zippers the breast pockets hang out by your navel for some reason they're just <laughs> they're not good choices and for for like our our bigger listeners or people who are just getting into it because uh the nomexes only go up to 52 long yeah um, you know, Which if you're, those, even those are really hard to get a hold of, especially now since they, they stopped are. using the one piece and they've gone over to two piece. Mm-hmm. So if if you need something bigger, go with go with True Spec. True Spec definitely has the larger sizes. The only downside now with True Spec is that they don't have any of the lower pockets. I think yeah. they have they have the side access pockets, but there's nothing on the legs like in the screen used ones. So there's no knife pocket on the inner thigh map pocket or uh, survival radio pocket on the legs. Yeah. Um, which, but which then, you know, it, I know that that that's a genuine military, like the, that is a, a, a version of a genuine military suit. Cause I've got several Navy ones and uh, olive drab ones that lack all of those pockets too. In fact, the Navy ones are flight suits limited or Gibson and Barnes. And, uh, I think the olive drab ones are probably Carter Industries. Um, Interesting, and that's something that's something I've always meant to look into. Is like, is it you know what kind of variation of the suit is that? Is it a, is it a dress uniform of some sort? Or? No, it wouldn't. It wouldn't be a dress uniform, but it you know I wouldn't count out um, other militaries as well. I know in my research yeah. the the CW twenty seven Ps are also really close to the K two uniforms. Um, mm-hmm. which are also then very, very close to uh, the just-after-Vietnam-era um, lightweight coveralls. And yeah. there's a lot of like similarities between the designs, but then there's ultimately things that, that don't match up. You know, for, for a while, I was under the impression, well, were the Ghostbusters 1 jumpsuits, were they actually off the rack and after searching it's it's not even a rare variation of the jumpsuit at this point it is they don't exist yeah they never there, there's there's too many things i mean i've done that research too i've gone back and, and looked at you know vintage flight suits from all eras and there's just nothing that comes close to matching well then there's the big thing which is uh they were two-tone which the military yes is not going to do that yeah um and you know that's that's such a weird thing about those uniforms well what's weird is the the capturing of it so died or undyed austin not died not died i i would agree now 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 
I don't believe these suits, once completed and sewn together, were then dyed. Okay, I will. Yeah, I, I think that's a that's a fair assessment. I don't think before they were sewn together, they were dyed. I think it is two different dye lots. Yeah, but I think it's specifically two fabrics that came in those particular shades of khaki. Uh, one being very very khaki, and you can look at um. Again, Ghostbusters reference library there, uh, mm-hmm. looking at the Spangler jumpsuit and then also the Stance and Venkman jumpsuits. These are the screen-used uniforms. These are their hero uniforms. Um, so how about, why do people think they're gray? Why do they? Why do people think they're over-dyed gray? I, I mean, I don't, I don't know if I want to get into this. <laughs> <laughs> you know there's uh an individual i'm not well, gonna name names not even no even even getting away from that yeah everybody seems to hang on to the kck some throwaway line yeah uh the boys in gray when he says the boys in grace in his very thick accent and yeah, it, it does sound like the boys in gray. But one of the interesting things is that line was recorded with Casey Kasem not not having seen the movie and was done, I think, uh, a month before the movie actually hit theaters. OK, um, I don't know. D- did you think he said the boys in gray? Uh, this is this is one area where uh, I'm not going to fight you, but I, I don't necessarily agree. I, okay. I don't. I don't hear that at all. I hear the boys in gray. Um, I hear boys in grace. This is going to, it's going to be that, uh, uh, what is it from who framed Roger rabbit? What is, <laughs> what is Daffy duck and Donald duck actually saying to each other? Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> no, I, it, it, even, even, you know, discounting that line, just the fact, I mean, they look gray in the movie. They absolutely look gray and, many parts of, of it um and, but that's also gray is such a relative term like there's so many shades of brown and khaki like they all contain some sort of gray in them and i don't i don't believe for a second the intended color was gray i don't believe that they were supposed to be represented as gray in the movie. I think that's just a byproduct of the film stock and the lighting and, and, you know, the fact that khaki can absolutely look gray in the right kind of lighting. Well, it could take on so many shades. I mean, you light them with green, it's going to look green. Yeah. And I mean, if you want to get into the real nerdy head cannon kind of shit, like, in my mind, if you're if you are logically thinking of it like in universe terms, I I would they're not they're not getting their uniforms custom fabricated. They're going and buying military surplus. As far as I'm aware, you don't think Janine was in the in the in the basement with the containment unit in a big uh, tub of hot water, dying <laughs> dying no. suits gray. No, 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 no. I mean, I know that there have been uh, some actual gray flight suits and I, th- I believe there's some vietnam era ones aren't there no it's all of drab 
they're all drab that have faded out. Yeah, I've seen those okay. before, and they do. They end up looking uh very, very grayish, but it's it's all of drab that has faded out considerably. Well, I mean, and that makes sense. I mean, there's I don't know how many times I've gone on eBay looking up flight suits, and you know, I see all of drab listings, but I mean, like, well, that looks gray in that picture. That looks gray. That looks gray. You know. Um. But even going back to that, like, let's say they're using off the rack military stuff, like in the universe canon there, you know, why would they, you would think that would, the, logically they're going to go with something that existed, which would be a khaki flight suit. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And that that's exactly what existed were, were khaki flight suits. You know, I, I don't think, I think a lot of times, and, and I'm guilty of this, you're guilty of this, everybody's guilty of it, but sometimes people make it more complicated than it needs to be or, or in reality really is. Yeah. You know, as far as the, you know, going back to the two-tone, uh, the two-tone nature of the suits, the, once those pictures kind of started to surface of the suits where the, the two-tone was like really apparent, because from my recollection, that's kind of a fairly recent discovery. Um, Within the last uh, what, decade? Uh, last five years, I think it really came to light when um, the Bankman jumpsuit went up on the auction block. And it uh, was interesting because now, though, you can go back and look at screenshots and what would have been interpreted as maybe shadows at the time. You can see, oh, yeah. yeah, even in the film, a- they were two times. It- and that's such a crazy like thing that, you know, stuff has been staring us in the face for years and we've just never realized it. But, you know, going back to when those pictures came out and it became apparent, okay, these are these are two tone and it's it's a drastic difference in color. There's no way that, you know, these these panels faded and and aged differently than these panels i mean there could be a little bit of that but not to the degree that they are now and which tells me it's intentional they were intentionally structured to be two-tone this way i don't believe again i don't believe the intention is for them to be two-tone my theory is that they located the ripstop fabric they got sent however many bolts of fabric and there's two different shades and the you know, they made it work. They, they knew if they if they intentionally piece these suits together in a two tone fashion, it's probably not going to get picked up on camera. But even the two tone, it's not consistent with every suit. There's a couple of suits where I can't remember off the top of my head, but one of the arms is very clearly the khaki fabric. Whereas on some of the other suits, it's the gray fabric or vice versa, something like that. Right. So, yeah, I, I think it just boils down to it's it's just two different batches of fabric with two different dye baths, you know? like I would tend to agree with you. I'm looking again at these photos and there's, there's some shots of a Venkman jumpsuit and one of the Venkman jumpsuits, you know, it all looks straight khaki. And then there's other shots. Um, I'm not sure if it's the same jumpsuit or if it's a different one. Um, yeah. I mean, the actors obviously had multiple jumpsuits. Yeah. 
And then, of course, you had brought up an interesting theory about the Overdie, which is um, stunt actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, in which did the did the stunt actors have off the shelf uniforms? And unfortunately, then that becomes a an item of trying to locate good screen reference of when it is definitely a stunt actor yeah wearing a suit and i've gone through some of my pictures the other day that i had of uh their publicity stills but they are you know publicity stills of the scene uh right when the ground breaks open and they fall in and it's right before they've fallen in and it's the stunt actors with the stunt foam packs and yeah I don't have anything of any high enough quality to be able to determine anything. You know, they, they look like scans out of an old magazine or something, you know, like they're really grainy and pretty small. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't done a deep dive looking for higher resolution versions of those pictures yet, but it's on the list of things to do eventually. I know uh, one of the, one of the best photos I would say is probably uh, with uh, Harold Ramis standing next to his stunt double and the yeah, suit uh, is uh relatively darker than what yeah. Harold Ramis is wearing and they're both in equal light um and I, I can't see really clear enough to make the judgment call yeah. but from what I can see I'm not seeing the side access pockets and I'm not seeing the same hallmarks on the cuffs so one of the one of the big things that definitely indicates that they're not off the shelf um is those side access pockets um those are not really on uh the 27p jumpsuits they don't have side access pockets they don't have side pockets um and then the cuffs themselves actually link very flush with, yeah. with the end of the cuff you know you have that cuff adjustment whereas the ones in the movie are actually about half an inch to an inch off of the cuff yeah and looking at this unfortunately too blurry to really really tell yeah um but i know his stunt double the cuff is is hemmed right right there which i mean that could be it that that you know the stunt ones could be those off-the-shelf suits. That's definitely a possibility. Yeah, but then it goes back to our discussion, you know, earlier. We've never found off-the-rack suits that match. Uh, right. So it's, yeah, it's a weird thing. Like, and, and if you look at that that same photo, like, Tom Morga's belt is considerably lighter than Harold Ramis's. you know? Now, unless, of course, the stunt doubles, we would need more more information. But if they are off the rack, then they wouldn't uh, they wouldn't necessarily be ripstop like the actors. Yeah, and, and see, that's you know, and this is all this is all going under the assumption that you know, as far as budget goes, they're going to budget for your principal actors to have custom garments made, right? But not for the stunts, you know things are different now obviously like with afterlife like all of those flight suits are fabricated stunt actors stand-ins yeah uh heroes but in 84 on the shoestring budget they had i i don't see them fabricating custom suits for for stunt actors but you know who knows they might have yeah it's it's very different 
definitely difficult to tell with what reference we have available to us. And whereas hero suits have come to light and have hit the market and we've been able to document, we don't have any confirmed stunt suits that have hit the market, um, and, which is unfortunate. You know, if the stunt suits, let's say they were off the rack or something, or I mean, even if they were custom made, potentially, the stunt suits may have had the patches ripped off and gone back into uh, wardrobe rental or something like that, you know, and they've disappeared and who the hell knows where they are at this point. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's our deep dive on Ghostbusters one. Who's who have you gotten a chance to uh, check out the Magnolia Ghostbusters one jumpsuits? Um, I haven't seen one in person yet. Um, I've seen lots of pictures. Um, They're nice. Yeah. Um, I want to get one. I have plans to get at least two, maybe three of the GB1 suits <laughs> at some point. Uh, I definitely want one of the GB2 herringbones, one of the GB2 charcoal, but I definitely want one of those uh, ripstop suits. Um, they're they're nice. They fit. Um, so I got one. I got one and I sent in my custom measurements and uh, even with my custom measurements, um, they, it did come in maybe uh, half a size to a size smaller, which mm-hmm. is okay. I need encouragement to, to lose some weight, but um, definitely something for people to plan on if they're, they're buying one of them um, has really spot on brass zippers. The, the fabric sits great. And one of the things I love about it is when I was looking at it and taking photos of it or putting it in different places, I, I had it hanging on a door frame for the longest time, just admiring it is yeah. uh, it, it accurately will change color from being very much khaki to very gray. And that, <laughs> that I got to tell you, yeah. that pleased me to the core to, to kind of see that in person. Um, the patches it comes with are, are not great. Um, yeah. Anybody that is spending that much money on a custom flight suit, I would definitely not have the patches already sewn on. Um, I would definitely go to, to other vendors for the name tapes and the, the arm badge, but the flight suit itself, it's, it's uh, quality made has side pockets, not side access, which is also accurate to the movie. Um, yeah which is really, really cool, uh, has all the appropriate pockets, the knife pocket, um, no, no weather flap on the, the pen pocket on the arm, the uh, mm-hmm. breast pockets are at the, the right height. It's really, it's, they did a great job. I'll, I'll hand yeah. it to them. I'll also say buyer beware. I know a lot of people have also had problems with Magnoli. Um, whether it be the sizing just being completely wrong <laughs> i heard one guy the the suit came sewn inside out which is crazy yeah um, and you know the thing and i've heard i've heard people you know have had a bad experience or yeah. not not a great experience but honestly from what i've seen it seems like the majority of people have been pretty happy with them you know minor yeah. things aside um i know personally I haven't seen anything that would probably make me hesitate to order at all. Like, uh, you know, aside from it showing up inside out, (laughs) uh, you know, and the thing too is I think I read something a couple of weeks ago that I guess supposedly they are 
doing away with standard sizing and they yeah. will only let you uh, provide custom measurements. Which, that's, that's my understanding as well, which I would, it, if you are providing custom measurements, I would maybe add an inch or two to those custom yeah, measurements. Yeah, and I think, I think some issue may be, and I don't know this for sure, but like people are saying it's too small. Well, you know, you have to, most people wear these on top of clothes. Yeah. So you you need to definitely accommodate for your clothing and then add some some buffer there because you know uh if it, it's it's better to be too big than too small. Um and and you know just from seeing the films you can you know the flight suits themselves are not form fitting. You know, they're no. baggy, they're loose and that's the look I want to go for. So Yeah, yeah I would absolutely there. So wearing wearing a flight suit when you're in the military, you want it to be form fitting because you got to, you got to fit in a cockpit. Yeah. As a ghostbuster, you want it to be loose. You want it to be baggy and airy and, and you know, that's definitely the look that I would go for as well. Right now I'm not, I'm not doing the baggy look so well. <laughs> uh, yeah. Me, dude, me either. Like in, in my prime, I was wearing like a 42 or a 44. Yeah. And, and I think the, I think I'm wearing a 48 right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm at fifty, like, bud. So <laughs> you gotta do that. See, that's the punch thing. Up those numbers. The forty-eight. It's 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 not snug, but it's just shy of being snug. And I was like, you're just shy find... of looking like a sausage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I could find a fifty, I would absolutely. But like those getting those bigger sizes, like even finding a forty-eight was pretty tough. Um, I uh I lucked in and found. Um, a number of 50 regulars um, for like 30 bucks a piece. So I bought all of them. Um, so yeah. now I, I just have spare jumpsuits. I have jumpsuits over jumpsuits. I'll get another one in and my wife will be like, why are you ordering another jumpsuit? It's like, well, I have an idea for a variant. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I, I just sold off a bunch of jumpsuits because, you know, I mean, I already had God knows how many, but, you know, uh, the friend of my dad's that owns the surplus store, he, uh, because the the military has switched over to these two piece suits, they're not selling their one piece suits as much anymore. Right. And so my dad calls me one day and is like, "Hey, uh, Mark just gave me a bunch of flight suits." And I was like, "Oh, cool. How many?" He's like, "There's like three boxes." Oh my gosh, uh, dude! There was like thirty six khaki jumpsuits and like ten, uh olive drab and a couple of like the olive drab mechanic coveralls and some other random stuff. And I was just like, Holy shit. And of course, none of them are big enough to fit me <laughs> right now, but right now there was a, you know, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of smaller ones, which are also good to hang on to, especially if you've got, you know, uh, kids or, or women that, you know, want to utilize a real Nomex suit. Those are, those are nice to have on hand. But so like if you had to put I know how I would if I had to put, you know, what I would want to buy as far as accuracy goes in order, it would be uh, at the top of the list. Magnolia, then it would be a military surplus Nomex suit. And as you said, they're Carter Industries. I've also seen them by Eagle Industries, Mm -hmm. uh, proper um, Gibson and Barnes, those those brands. after that would be uh, a true spec, and then there's nothing else. 
Yeah. No Rothko. That doesn't exist. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I, I would pro- probably agree. The Magnolia is at the top of the list. And then if you could find an older Gibson and Barnes or a flight suits limited, like a suit that mm-hmm. was made when they were still flight suit limited, like even if you're going for GB one, even though that pattern is accurate to Ghostbusters two, I would still utilize one of those for a Ghostbusters one jumpsuit. Um, I've got one. And there the color also, is really nice. There was also Cockpit USA mm-hmm. about seven or eight years ago. They had a, uh, they called it their 60s vintage flight suit. And it was ripstop. And it was actually pretty accurate. But uh, apparently they sold so few of them that they, they stopped making them all together. Just as I had enough money to get one, unfortunately, and I That's don't, always even, I case. don't even know where you would begin to to find one of those. Yeah, I mean, good luck. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I would go. I would go. Uh, Magnolia, Gibson and Barnes, Flight Suits Limited, and then yeah, any any Carter Industries, Nomex, uh, CPU or CPW, um, True Spec, and I guess there's an Amazon jumpsuit now. There's some kind of jumpsuit that people have been buying on Amazon that looks okay. I think it's better than a Rothko for sure. Is it Fox Industries? Is Fox Industries getting into the jumpsuit business now? I don't remember. I can't remember. Somebody had made a post on the Spengler group uh, probably a month or so ago, kind of doing a comparison. Um, and I had I was unaware that that was even an, a thing, like an option. I was surprised. Yeah. yeah. Well, it gets um, to be that what thing if... is like I, I stop looking at anything less than a military surplus just because you know they're going to all be virtually the same and they're all going to virtually be precisely where you need them to be. You know, I'm, I'm happy to get yeah. um, four jumpsuits from Magnoli. Uh, you know, I have the my khaki ripstop. I have a charcoal and then I'll get two herringbones from them. Yeah, and uh, maybe one more ripstop to do an afterlife suit with. Um, yeah, but for all the other stuff, all the experimenting and all the uh, the more I would say you know fun jumpsuits, the whatever jumpsuits, the the franchise branded jumpsuit, I'm always I'm just going to default over to Nomex because the the consistency is there. I always know what product I'm going to get, and while brand new, they're going to run in the realm of you know a hundred to two hundred dollars. Uh, used, you can get them for like 30 or 40 bucks, which is the same cost as a true spec or a Rothko. But yeah. The quality's higher. You just have to do a little bit of eBay hunting and it's not that bad. Well, and two, something else we should probably mention is there's two different weights to those Nomex suits. There's a, a standard weight and there's a summer weight. Yes. And the summer weight, um, by far, if you can find them, they're they're usually a lot rarer, but um, they are so much more breathable. They're so yes. much, uh, they're so they're so much nicer, and the coloring on them is actually a lot closer to the Ghostbusters one suits. Right. They're they have a little more of a gray tinge to them, whereas some of the other ones tend to have almost kind of a pink hue to them. Mm-hmm. a little bit uh but you know if you can if you can score one of those and it'll say it on the tag 
you know, it'll say somewhere summer or summer weight. Summer weight or uh, flight suit summers, yeah. you know, something like that. Yeah. Well, listen, we are we are coming up on an hour and a half, so we've definitely gone over what we would normally exactly or are hoping to do for our podcast. But I think we're going to go ahead and wrap it up for tonight. How do you feel about that? I'm cool with that. We can do a part two later, covering elbow yeah. pads and belts and boots. And yeah. All that so good we'll. Stuff. Uh, Next episode, then we'll we'll talk about boots, elbow pads, and uh, el and and belts for for the Ghostbusters one uh, costume. So, uh, if you want to talk about super accurate Ghostbusters props and and costumes and effects, of course, please feel free to join us on Spengler's nineteen eighty four workbench on Facebook dot com. Uh, give us a like on Instagram, Black Firehouse Podcast. Uh, you can also find Black Firehouse Podcast on on Facebook. And uh, thank you so much for listening to our first episode. We hope you enjoyed it. We had a lot of fun recording it. You have a lot of fun there, Austin, buddy. Absolutely. Awesome. I could do this for hours, dude. Well, we're going to, we're going to do it only for an hour and a half as to not get too repetitive. So uh, this is Dan Harshman for black firehouse podcast and Austin, Austin young, Ray Cameron hey. on Facebook. If, uh, if you really want to get into it. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening, guys. Have a great Thanks, day. Thanks, everybody. As a duly designated representative of the city, I order you to cease any and all supernatural activity and return forthwith to your place of origin or to the nearest convenient parallel dimension. Okay, so I'll see you later, huh? I'll give you a call. Two in the box. Ready to go. We be fast and baby slow. You do? You have? That wasn't such a charm, now was it? Oh, nice shooting, Tex.